How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to the Only Fee Only podcast. And as always, thank you so much for being here. In this episode, we got to talk to Zach Hubbard, who is the Director of Financial Planning and Participant Engagement at Green Spring Advisors, based out of Maryland. And this was a really good talk. Um, as you guys have listened to the episode, you've heard a lot of advisors that are truly authentic and purposeful about the work that they do for their clients. And the situation is no different for Zach here. Uh, since he's been on with Greenspring, he's gotten a lot of exposure to talking to people. And they have a huge client base with a really nimble team. So they have thousands of planned participants. And they serve them with a team of less than, I think, 10. So it's pretty impressive the way that they're managing to do it. And so one of the things that I liked about this episode was where Zach was talking about, you know, we do webinars. We do this type of engagement. This is how we tend to stay in front of clients because a lot of advisors have questions about how do I stay in front of my clients to continue to be impactful even when I'm not meeting with them one-on-one. And so this is a really great episode. Zach had a ton of great things to say. Without further ado, this is Zach Hubbard on the Only Fee Only podcast. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Only Fee Only podcast. I'm Peter Taravolo. I'm here with my co-host, Brock Buckles. How's it going today, Brock? Little uh, allergenic, but we're good, Petey. We're good. Love it. Well, spring, almost summer's here, so no doubt about that. Today, we're really excited to have Zach Hubbard on from Green Spring Advisors. How's it going today, Zach? Good. How are you guys doing? Doing really well, man. We really look forward to having you on and letting you share your story. Um, So let's get right into it. For those who don't know who you are, you want to give a quick 30, 60-second overview of who you are and who you're currently serving? Yeah, I'd imagine that's a big group of people. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, No, I'm the Director of Financial Planning and Participant Engagement here at Green Spring. So probably close to an award for the longest title you can have. But So I run our internal uh, financial planning team doing sort of your traditional financial planning, internal financial planning, doing the, the financial plan creations for the private wealth side. Then we also have a financial wellness platform uh, for institutional clients called Clarity of Work. So I run that team uh, on the delivery of that financial wellness platform, providing advice. I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about that. And then I also run our uh, – Frankly, from a business perspective, what's called the small market offering. That's what we call it eSpring. For those clients that don't necessarily meet our uh, our private wealth minimums, we have a solution for them to get advice and, and still get access to our service. So I also run that platform as well. Busy guy, man. There's a lot There's a lot going on there for sure. Yeah. Um, so I, I always like to start just to understand where people are coming from. Day one, step one. I mean, what what'd you do kind of out of school? What was your introduction? How'd you find out about this world of fee-only financial planning in the beginning? Yeah, I, I felt like it was pretty unique until I started listening to podcasts. And it feels like everybody kind of falls into it, you know, in, in our age group. But uh, I, I did fell into it. I was really just looking for a salary job. No real direction in terms of what I wanted to do. I uh, applied for what was called an operations associate at a company called RBC Wealth Management, broker dealer, uh, fairly you know, regional size. Well, I got put in what was called the cage, uh, where they were processing paperwork, you know, essentially real true back end brokerage operations, right? Processing t- trade tickets, you know, all that stuff. Uh, but it was actually a really good place to learn. You know, I, I fell in love with it from there, met, obviously interacted with tons of advisors from all over the state, got to see what they were doing, how they were helping clients on the back end. So I, I often tell folks, if you're just looking to start out, don't really have a, a leg in, like don't have the, the traditional like dad that's an advisor, right? 
operations is a really good place to start because you get to learn a ton, right? If you can be a sponge, you really get to learn a lot. So got all the licenses, everything like that. Did a ton of different things at RBC. Uh, like I helped onboard new advisors as they came over to the firm. I was a client associate, like you, kind of your servicing advisor type role. Then I was an internal financial planner there as well. So over the course of nine years, I did like four different things. Two of them were brand new roles. So it was, it was a lot of, uh, a lot of sort of winding road to where I am now. But through that last role, really fell in love with financial planning and uh, got the CFP and, and all of that and came to a point. You know, like like most brokerage firms, they have a training program where you have two years to decide if you want to be an advisor or not. Uh, and if you don't want to be an advisor, well, you, you need to find something else to do. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of kind of came to the point where you know I wasn't really sure if I wanted to be an advisor there. I, I don't get me wrong, I, I loved working narratives. I had incredible people that I worked with. They gave me a boatload of opportunities. They just kept giving me opportunities, right? And I kept being put in positions to succeed. And worked with a lot of really incredible people. So I would never talk badly about my time there, but just wasn't passionate about that type of advising, right? Which is effectively making rich people richer, right? It's a really great business. A lot of people do it and they do it very well. They love doing it. Just wasn't for me. I wanted to work with people that were were more like me, right? That were younger, right? Working, needed advice, needed help. You know, if I wasn't, if I didn't sort of stumble my way into the industry, right, I, I never had any financial education. I didn't know anything about investing or even like budgeting or saving, right? That, that just wasn't part of what we grew up learning. So I, I wanted to find a way to give people like me access to that type of advice and sort of that high quality advice that really wealthy people were getting that really isn't being offered to the, the folks that are, you know, not, not super wealthy. So that's what drove me towards Greenspring. They had this role called participant advisor, uh, which no longer exists within the firm just for, through some reorgs, but it's still what my team does, working exclusively with those retirement plan participants. So CFPs providing advice one-on-one to this base of 60,000 participants that we have within our retirement plan business and haven't really looked back. It's been three years I've been in Greenspring. Uh, we went through a, a bit of a reorg through a, a merger but now sitting in the sort of leadership role within that team, couldn't think about doing anything else. Couldn't imagine doing anything else uh, than what I'm doing right now. Love that. Well, you can definitely just hear the passion just as you talk about it. Um, so, I mean, like, what were some of those values at Greenspring that really attracted you? I mean, was fee only? Like, at RBC, did you know of the concept fee only? Like, when's the first time you kind of heard of, hey, you know what? There's this different outside compensation model that's out there? Yeah, that's a really good question. Honestly, I, I didn't really know, and it's funny now looking back because I'm pretty heavily involved with NAPFA, but previously I had no knowledge of fee-only, right? I mean, obviously mm-hmm. in the broker-dealer space, there's no such thing as fee-only. There's fee-based, right? Uh, we're commissions on insurance projects, right? And, and all those types of things. So Joint work. Yeah, and, and I did start, you know, as I started on that journey of financial planning and looking for resources and ways to learn, obviously, Kitsis is a big one. He's pretty heavy in that fee-only or yeah, that advisor-type space. So started to get some introductions to them through that. But really, it wasn't until I got over here at Greenspring, and they're like, hey, by the way, we're going to drop your Series 7. I was like, what? What does that even mean? Like, what do you mean you're going to drop my 7? They're like, well, yeah, we're fee-only. We can't get paid on an, on product sales, so there's no reason for you to have it. Same thing with life and health. Like, okay, great. So now all I have to do is CE for CFP and, and NAPFA. 
uh, which is actually more CC than he had to do previously. But uh, <laughs> no, I, yeah, I really had no introduction to it over there. So this, it was totally new, totally new concept. But what attracted me to Greenspring was we're an, we're, a ser- we're an incredibly mission-driven organization. So one of our, our key core values, and, and I think if you asked anybody at our firm, like what's the one core value that resonates with you the, mo- with you the most, it's love your neighbor, where like really we're focused on giving back. Yeah. And so even on the private wealth side, it's a totally different feel in the way we work with clients. We have a huge giving uh, and, and sort of uh, community donation type arm to our organization. So it was just that mission and, that, and the fact that everybody I talked to was really dialed in and locked in on that mission that really drew me here because that that's what I am. I'm a mission-driven type person. I, like You give me something to work at that I'm passionate about, and I'm going to go for it 100%. So it, it's just being around that sort of collection of people that's all working towards the same thing. It's, it's huge. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's about, it's all about the people, man. Like you can make as much money as you want to, but there's a lot of billionaires out there that aren't very happy. And and like you kind of said, you know, there are firms out there that are making rich people richer and they're great at what they do. Nothing wrong with it. Listen, if you have the money and you want to keep making more money, no one's going to fault you for that. Right. But at the same time, when you can be a part of something where you're helping people become educated around money and actually making a difference, right? Because if you were born into it, again, no one, nobody chooses where they're born. But you're probably going to have a little bit better idea as to you know how to manage money, what that looks like. Or maybe your family's just had their money managed forever by the same guy or same firm. So it just is kind of, it, that's just the way it is. But I love the idea of like, choosing to work somewhere because it's the mission statement and it, and it's what drives you and, you know, love your neighbor, all that stuff is, is really incredible. Um, so as you kind of got in there, I mean, what was your first impression, you know, coming from where you did? And again, not, we're not taking the time to, to say anything bad about where you were great for him. You've yeah. already made that very clear, but what were some of the differences that you saw right off the bat? Yeah, well, so the first thing, and I think this is true of anybody switching from broker-dealer to SEC registered fee only, it's just yep. the the level of freedom that you have like to be creative and to create content, which is something that I love to do. I love to write and, and all that. You know, I do TikTok videos and stuff. Like, yep. None of that stuff would have been possible at RBC, right? And then all of a sudden you come over here, it's like the chains are off. I mean, it's like you email our compliance guy, he says yes, and then you just go, and that's it. Yep. Like there's no, there's no layers to it. There's no like pre-submission process, three week review. Like there's nothing, there's nothing. It's, it's totally free, which is like, it was just awesome. Right. That's a huge, that was, that was an immediate sort of slap, like, whoa, like hold on a second. I can do all this. Totally. But the other thing was just the, I knew that I was, I was transitioning to a different type of client. It happened a lot faster than I thought in that like I came in and immediately started taking participant meetings and like the third person I talked to was making like $15 an hour working on the shop floor, right? And I'm used to talking with doctors and lawyers and successful business Mm -hmm. owners that have exited for multi-millions of dollars, right? Now I'm talking to a guy that's trying to figure out how they can stretch $15 an hour over all the bills and all the responsibilities they have and they're swimming in debt, right? It's like, okay, this is what I signed up for, but man, that's like, this is crazy. And then my, my meeting right after that was a doctor, right? Making 500,000. So I'm still getting that variety of conversation, but now it's every day I'm talking to people that are that $15 an hour shop worker trying to figure out how they're going to dig out of the debt that they have. And then I'm talking to a doctor that feels the same emotions, right? About the problems, but his problem is like, Hey, I need to figure out how I'm going to sell my practice to this roll up or, or 
you know, I need to figure out how I'm going to successfully exit this practice. I'm 75 and I'm, I'm kind of done with this. I need to talk through like my retirement planning. So just the range of conversation was so much different, but it was, it was what I was looking for. So I was very happy about it. It was just a huge adjustment to make going from that yeah. space over to now this totally new world. Very cool. Yeah. So what does client engagement look like? So you guys have 60,000 plan participants, you said. So, I mean, huge in the 401k space then in retirement plans. You know, what's a client engagement look like? Are they reaching out specifically to you for financial plans and then being fee only? Like, how, like how is that kind of built? I mean, I'm guessing the general audience is wondering as well, too. Yeah. Yeah. So the way we structure it, so it's, it's right now. And, and one of the things we're working to build out is, is basically it as a standalone offering, but Right now, it's packaged as part of our retirement plan consulting business. So we have a, a team of advisors and a whole team that's dedicated specifically to retirement plans. So 401ks, 403bs, that's all they do. They don't work with private clients. They only work with companies on selling those services. So it's a flat fee service um, marketed out. Right, We do 401k consulting. And as part of that, you get the financial wellness solution through our, our Clarity Work platform. So it's all built-in pricing there. And, and part of that is... Uh, Really, and stop me if I'm going too long, but really the way we think about You're it is good, man. we think about financial wellness in three phases. So the engagement gets you three things. The first is education. So we have a monthly webinar series that we do. We have articles. We have videos that we record. We have courses that we link to uh, from other, other platforms or other websites on our Clarity Work platform, like our website, that the kind of the landing page. So we start with education. We drive everybody there, right? Try to give them a base of knowledge because ultimately – if you think about it, right, really in this type of service, especially, we need people to be able to ask intelligent questions about their own finances. So we have to give them the base level of education to know what questions to ask so that we can give the best advice possible in a 30 minute meeting. So we try to give that. We try to build that foundation. Everything drives to once you have this, once you've gone through this, schedule a one on one meeting, because really what we find is everybody has the same or some version of the same question after sitting on a webinar. And that is okay, well, how does this apply to me? And so we want to give them the ability to actually take that and apply that. So that's where we give them that one-on-one advice. And so we've got a bunch of different meeting structures they can use, but typically your your base meeting is going to be 30 minutes. They sit with myself or another member of my team and we talk through whatever questions they have. And it's really the best comparison for it is probably a financial EAP, right? It's an employee assistance program for your finances where when you have questions, when you have concerns, when you want to talk through your plan, when something big is going on that you need advice on making a decision around, that's what we're here for. It's we're, we're sort of a point in time advice resource to answer that question. And then the third phase is that implementation phase. So that's sort of that's something we're also working on developing is how can we make sure that the advice we're giving on these meetings and, and we create an action plan and send them those those baby steps to take. How can we make sure that we're actually giving them the tools to implement those? Because they're they're much more likely to do it if they can go straight from that meeting back to our website where the tool is there for them to use than they are to say, hey, go to this other third-party resource or go find somebody close to you. They're, they're not likely to take that next step. So we're trying to build that out with some great partners that we, we've partnered with. Trust and Will, shout out Trust and Will, great service. You guys, of course, we're sending people to you all for insurance and, and other needs. But we're, we're just continuously trying to build out that implementation phase to make sure that people are actually taking those steps to implement the advice. I mean, it's smart. The, the bottom the bottom line is the, one of the hardest things to get people to do is, is implement, right? I've talked to countless advisors who have been like, yeah, I talked to them about it. 
And then they came back next year. And, and obviously we see the insurance piece, right? But like I talked to him about it. We said, you got to go find somebody to get it. They come back to us the next year to do their annual review. We still don't have it implemented, right? So by you guys creating and, and, and making sure that there are those strategic partnerships, you're just creating the likelihood of success for your clients, which I really like. Um, now, how many advisors are there? Because it sounds like, I mean, 60,000 plan participants, that's a lot. How, are you guys like lean and mean or did you get, are there a bunch of advisors? What does that look like for you guys as a firm? Yeah, we're, uh, we're lean. We're lean. Okay. We, like to, we run lean. So we've got there. I have four on my team, and then we've got five, sorry, okay. four institutional advisors, and then okay. two relationship managers and, and two financial associates underneath them. So they're working. They're working with the committees mostly, helping yeah. with you know, the plan design stuff. My team's working with the participant side. So if you look at our split, it's probably 70 percent participant work, thirty percent financial planning for the private client team. Sure. But really, we're we're cranking. We're on pace now. Now the thing with sixty thousand, it's a big number, right? But we're not going to meet with sixty thousand people in a year. So, right, like we're on pace this year for our, our best year ever. We're on pace for like twelve hundred meetings, which is still a ton of participant meetings, but you know it's a fraction of that overall sixty thousand. So, we we also have to make sure that we have resources so that you know, all sixty thousand can engage with us in some way. Totally. It's not always going to be a one-on-one meeting, but it could be a webinar. It could be an article that they look at. It could be an email they receive, like a newsletter. You know, so, some way that we're staying in front of them and staying top of mind. Because, frankly, our, our goal is, from a utilization standpoint, is 100% when there's a time of need. And I didn't come mm-hmm. up with that. That was Josh Itzo. He's a, a founding founding partner of ours, no longer with Greenspring, but a founding partner. He came up with that, I, that sort of concept. But that's really where we want to be. We want them to know that when they need us, we're here. Not that they need to meet with us every day or every year. Yeah, as needed. I mean, that's a great point. So let's talk a little bit about advisor marketing and content marketing. I mean, I know you mentioned that you like making content, but even marketing to 60,000 people and, you know, whether it's internal or external, trying to bring them on, like, what have you seen that works? What are you trying to do in your own work? Um, And what are you implementing at the firm? Yeah, so we're a little bit different in that we have, and I hate the term captive audience, but that's kind of the only real term that I can think of, right? And then we do. We have a captive audience because we work with their their 401k, right, or their retirement plan. Sure. And we are providing services to them as part of that. So we get what we're working on really is capturing email addresses because, frankly, the email inbox is the best place to go, right, if you want to really get in front of somebody. And, and we, frankly, we have access that most other people don't have when it comes to a marketing standpoint to that email inbox, and what we found is when we send an email or, or send sort of any, basically any notification that, hey, by the way, this is a reminder that you have access to the service, that's what prompts people to engage. That's what prompts one-on-one meetings. That's what prompts people to schedule webinars is that constant drip reminder. So, it, and it's it's all about striking the balance, right? Between we can't send something daily because they'll block us, right? They'll put us in charge right. and emails again. But yeah. if we send it quarterly, that's probably not frequent enough. Like there's a, there's a very short window of, oh, right, Greenspring, I have access to them. Let me schedule this. If the problem happens in February and we don't send an email to the end of March, by that point, they've either found a resolution or it's resolved itself. So they don't need to right. send So right. probably monthly, somewhere around that is the right pacing. We're still working on it. Frankly, I don't, I don't think we're not perfect by any stretch, but... I think email really that that drip is the way to do it, right? And, and if we can get if you can get email addresses as an advisor in general, 
that that drip, just that reminder of like, hey, I'm available. Being present, showing up. When they have a need, they're going to reach out, and that's the that's really the best way to do it. I I think the key is, man, is is we always use the word too. It's being pleasantly persistent, right? Like right. you don't want to be annoying, but you want people to know, hey, we're here. Right as they thought about something while they were picking up their kid in the car the other day, they were driving home. They had a question. They're like, I got to reach out to Green Spring for that. And then boom, they get a newsletter or boom, they get a, you know, webinar invite or, or something like that. And that's really the key to saying in front of your audience, then also mixing up the content, um, which, which you're good at, but, uh, it, it's, it can be challenging. And I guess my question for you is as you're kind of getting into this, what is one of the pieces of the planning process that you really enjoy? And then what's something that you're like, I could probably go without it. If somebody wanted to do that part of it, I'd be okay with that. Yeah. Uh, taxes. I hate taxes. Yeah. I got to be honest with you. I, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't believe when anybody says they like taxes, I don't really believe it. But liar. Liar. Uh, yeah, they're liars, right? But <laughs> yeah, if I could get somebody to, to do, and we don't do, you know, for the, for the participant base at least, we're not doing tax planning, right? I mean, we'll, we'll talk through some tax opportunities that they might have, different tax implications of certain decisions, but we're not doing full-scale tax planning. We are doing that on the private wealth side. Sure. And I'll do it. You know, we, we use a list of plan. We also use BNA, which is like CPA software, which I hate. Uh, again, I despise tax planning. Uh, <laughs> on that. But, One more time for the people in the back. Yeah, he does not tax like tax planning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'll happily shop that out. But really the rest of it, like I love to be – I think what, what's really cool about planning is when you can be creative. And you have to be able to you – know, like you have to get somebody to a good baseline first before you can really be creative in, in what they do yeah. and, and the certain strategies that they take, which I think is an area that financial planners tend to, to miss a lot is that like before we can get into the really cool solutions or the cool strategies or the, the complex trusts or the complex insurance cases or anything else, like they have to be in good shape first. Like, and they have to have a decent understanding of their personal finances and their direction. They have to have that clarity. And if we don't get them there first, we're just, we're throwing stuff against the wall with no, like it's not going to stick, right? There's no reason for us to be talking through anything complex if they're not in good shape. And that's what, I really enjoy is so really it's a motivator, right? To make sure that every client that we work with is in good shape and every totally. participant that we work with is, is getting to that good shape. So that way we can have a little bit more fun talking through some different things. And I say fun because I'm a nerd, right? They, the clients don't find it. Your clients don't think your Roth conversion strategy is fun, but I do, right? right? I think it's good stuff. So uh, like we want to get to that, that healthy base so that we can start having that more creative or, or fun planning conversation. Yeah. Yeah, it's not fun necessarily, but definitely a relief of pressure, right? Which when you're not feeling that pressure, it's a lot more fun to do other things, right? So you think it's fun because it's, yeah, you're into numbers, you're into financial planning, but for the client themselves, they just know, okay, I had a question about that. Zach helped answer my question. We took care of what we needed to take care of. Now I feel better and I can go to my Monday night bowling league or whatever, whatever they're into. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, you go ahead, Pete, do you have something? Yeah. I was just going to ask, like, I mean, I know you said you guys, I mean, 60,000 participants, there's all occupations, all ages, but just running averages, like what are some of like the most common financial problems or items people need to address that you're seeing just from experience and the amount of reps you've been able to take? Yeah. 
That's a really good question. It's, it's honestly, it's kind of cyclical, right? Like as the market moves, so do the problems. So recently it's been debt, right? Debt's been a big issue recently. Obviously, interest rates are climbing. Those, those minimum payments are probably five times what they were last year uh, yep. for most people, especially on the revolving debts. So that's a huge issue. And, and people are getting to the point where they're starting to take loans against their 401k, but 401k loans are also at nine and a half or 10% at this point. So it's not, it's not a release, right? It's not a relief. It's not a refinance really, because that payment's still significant. Yeah. You're paying it back to yourself, but you're just swapping one big payment for another. So that's been a big issue. A lot of people reaching out with, with serious concerns or serious problems making the debt. Obviously the markets are constant, right? Everybody's, there's always, even when things are good, somebody's worried about it, right? So there's always questions about the market. One of the the more interesting themes that I've picked up on over the, over the course of the last three years is the people that are reaching out, average age, you would think it's like, you know, most, most people think it's like, okay, it's like 60s getting ready to retire. It's actually been on the much lower end. Like I'm starting to feel old in terms of the people I'm talking to, like seeing birth dates in the 2000s and people that are reaching out, like getting their 401k set up. And their questions are more or less like, you know, how do I, how do I try to contribute? Right. Or how do I do this? It's like, how much should I contribute? Should I do 15? Should I do 20%? It's like, well, hold on a second. Like you're 23. If you do 10% for the course of your entire career and you're going to work till 65, you're going to be fine. Like you don't need to do a 20% contribution to your 401k. You've got other things that are going to come up. You probably want to buy a house at some point. Like all these other things are going to happen. So it's been a lot more, especially recently, like talking younger people, down a little bit, which which is kind of weird, like telling them not to contribute as much as they're thinking because they're trying to like way ma- like they're basically trying to max out from go, which is a great goal. But as long as you have nothing else that you want to do with your money, right. so you know it's it's really that's that's been a really interesting thing kind of thing that's happened is is it's really younger folks that are reaching out and getting ahead, and that's where like when you look at all these all these headlines like oh younger people aren't saving, millennials aren't saving, it's like. Yeah, they actually are. Like I'm talking to them every day. It's not the millennials that are the problem. It's like the people that are in between that 50, 55 to early 60s age that were sort of those tweeners between when pensions stopped and 401k started. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that are really in trouble because they haven't saved enough. They didn't have the opportunity to save enough and they don't have a backstop. So they're the ones that we really should be worrying about. They're also the ones writing articles about why millennials don't save. So. (laughs) that's so true no but it is a good point man i mean like you only know kind of what you were exposed to right and a lot of people that you're talking about i mean where i'm from i can say like an hour away right there's a chrysler automobile plant and a lot of people work there a lot of people there's a borg warner and and muncie where ball state's at where i'm from originally that shut down everybody's grandparents worked there then a lot of their kids went and worked there and then guess what happened that shut down. So yeah. nobody's going to get the pension they thought they were going to get. All of a sudden, you got to scramble, find another job, try to figure out how you're going to save. So that's a good point. I've actually never thought about it like that, but it is. I mean, it's just what people are exposed to. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So how are you keeping sharp on your game? Um, like what kind of continuing education? Like who do you like following in the industry? Um, you know, how do you keep your skills sharp? Yeah. I. So obviously, kids is follow him for the, the nerdy stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I have three hours to go listen to one of his podcasts. Uh and or read one of his articles. But uh Carl Richards is also one I love. I love Carl's stuff, the way he kind of thinks about client communication and talking. Yeah. Uh, Jess Boss as well. She's great. Uh love listening to her stuff and the interviews that she does. And Dr. Dan Crosby, Brian Portnoy on the behavioral side. 
but to be honest with you, like I'm meeting with so many people day to day and I'm getting so like so many questions yeah. that I, I don't really have a choice. Like even there are times where somebody will ask me a question, like, I don't really know. I need like I have to Google that. Now I'm learning something so I can yeah. teach mm-hmm. and answer this participant. So I, I have the benefit probably slightly unique to just the fact that I'm I'm like the anti niche guy and that I work with literally everybody. Yep. Yeah. I get questions about just everything you could possibly think of and I have to do the research to be able to provide a, a reasonable, understandable answer to that person. Yeah. It, it's no different than anything else, man. If you're, if your job is to be a professional bodybuilder, or a pilot, the more you're working out or flying, the better you're going to be at flying or working out. Right. It's no different than the financial planner. The more financial planning that you're doing, the more people that you're meeting with, the more refined you're going to be. Um, my question for you, man, is, is, was there anything that came up or is there anything that kind of when we scheduled the podcast that you're like, hey, I want to make sure we touch on that or just for people that are thinking about getting into financial planning and kind of the space in general, any advice that you would have for them? Yeah, I mean, I would love it. Like I, I'm an abundance mindset kind of guy and look, there are so many companies and so many employees out there to work with. I would love to see more financial planners think about financial planning as an employer benefit. Like that's, that's the way we're thinking about cardiac work at this point, right? Is this is not something that we're asking the employees to pay for. This is something that we're asking the employers to pay for as a benefit to their people. Cause ultimately we know when people are financially stressed, that's impacting their work their productivity is down. Your company's bottom line is impacted by that. So I would just love to see more people trying that route. Like I love pro bono planning, there's only so much pro bono planning you can do. And I'm working with similar people that would be getting pro bono planning, but we're getting paid for it, right? Because we're going through the company. So I would just love to see more people do it. I also would say if you're a financial planner looking to get in, there's no substitute in terms of learning for talking to people, right? I mean, I, we talk with, I've had individually 200 meetings so far this year. I can guarantee you that I'm a better planner than I was January 1st because of those 200 meetings. And if I look over the course of the last three years and I'm averaging, you know, 400 meetings a year, right? That's a lot of people that I'm talking to. If you get even a fraction of that, answer the phones, right? Pick up the calls as they come in. Don't be shy or afraid of, or feel like that the phone call or the inbound calls are beneath you because there's no better way to learn how to talk to somebody than by talking to somebody, right? right. Like you're going to pick up on mannerisms. You're going to figure out what works to say, what doesn't. And the other, only thing, other thing I would say to firms is, is you got to let your employees mess up a little bit. Like you, you can ask the, my, I'm a relatively new manager. You can ask my employees, like my philosophy is kick the bird out of the nest and nest and let them learn to fly on the way down. Right? Like you got to let your employees mess up. You got to let them make mistakes and use it as a coaching opportunity. I think what, what happens too much in our industry is, advisor relationships are they're so tight with their clients that when you bring somebody else in and and even the smallest mistake happens and they feel like that that relationship is at risk then it's like okay damage control this person can't get on the phone anymore i probably shouldn't have hired anybody like and they just start going down the travel it's like you gotta let your young people mess up like they're gonna make mistakes put them in positions to succeed and then put them in positions to get coaching right And, and that's that's it well, and the other thing to that too is is like you think about it, maybe you listen to them on the phone and you and you're thinking, right, as someone that's been in their shoes or as a manager, ah, you really could have done this differently, or you really could have said that this way, right? And the client is probably just like, 
So what do I do? Like, they probably don't even know that you said the, said it in a different way. Now, obviously, if you're giving blatantly bad advice, that's a different thing. But but most yeah. people aren't out there doing that. So as long as you're trying, as long as you're refining, I love the analogy about just kicking the nest out of the tree because too many people stay in the nest for too long and then the nest gets comfortable, right? And then you don't want to leave the nest. And then there's always somebody else that can kind of do the things outside of the nest when really you need to learn how to do them yourself. So um, now I, I think that's awesome, man. Uh, and for the people that, that want to follow along, because I know I follow along with you on LinkedIn and uh, Twitter, where can they follow you? Where, where can they keep up with what Zach Hubbard's doing? Yeah, uh, LinkedIn, Zach with a K, Hubbard. Uh, it's my email address is Zach with a K. It's in my email signature. It's on all my profiles. People still spell with an H. So if you spell Zach with an H, you're not going to find me. Zach with a K Hubbard on LinkedIn. Uh, Twitter is Zach with a K underscore Hubbard underscore one. Uh, So feel free to reach out, follow me. Uh, I'm also, I love chatting with people, learning from what other advisors are doing. So reach out, shoot me a DM. I'm, I'm pretty approachable. Love it, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate you sharing your story. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks, man.